Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Joined once again at the halfway mark of this season by the man, the myth, the legend, Dynasty X Factor. How's it going? Hey, man. It's going well over here. How about yourself? Not too bad, man. How's the first half of your season been? It's been good. A uh, lot of lot of injuries. You know, I'm a running back heavy guy, and the Nick Chubb, J.K. Dobbins injuries early on hurt me, but we've made some recoveries. Um, things are looking good. I, I got a lot more productive vets than I'm used to. So uh, we're making some playoff pushes. We're rebuilding where necessary. Uh, season is, uh, you know, it's that time of year. It's middle of the season. It's where you kind of either put the chips in or you back out. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be talking a lot about that on this episode. Uh, We'll be going over some of the major storylines from the last few weeks, as well as answering a bunch of uh, questions coming in from my patrons. A lot of that had to do with strategy as far as rebuilding, um, different players to target, uh, how to go all in, things like that. One thing that you mentioned that I was interested in is that um, you're finding yourself rostering a lot more uh, I guess what I would call like rental productive vets, w- which type of guys have you been targeting there and why have you found yourself doing that more? Is that just due to injuries? It really comes down to the divide and where the value is. Right. So like we're used to having a, a dynasty economy where there are some RB twos, low end RB ones that are 24 years old, but there's not really many of those these days. And so like it, it it really is a matter of can I afford to get that premium young asset or is it a better financial decision to go with somebody who's significantly cheaper that I can have for a year or two? And sometimes you just got to pay, pay the cost of production. And, um, you know, I found myself where some of my premium assets are on the IR and I don't want to sell low. So uh, it's better off uh, to, to go with the vet route. Yeah. And just looking at the the running backs, you know, in the top, in the top eight, we have Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Raheem Mostert, and Zach Moss, who are all essentially uh, rentals Zach or Moss, older players. I know he's, he's still doing things. And then a wide receiver, you know, Stefan Diggs, Keenan Allen, uh, Adam Thielen's having a big year, Tyreek Hill, of course. So it's, it's a, it's a big year for the vets. And it's a good reminder for the dynasty centric people like you and I, that, while building up value in youth is super important if you want to have a sustainable team, eventually you do need to get some production. And one of the reasons why I always uh, suggest making trades to add draft picks and to insulate some of your value is because you can then use those draft picks to acquire older vets. So I've acquired a bunch of shares of guys like Raheem Mostert and Adam Thielen using extra thirds that I've picked up by trading back in the startup, you know, two years ago or whatever it might've been. Man. Adam Thielen has been father time this year. What about his resurgence? I mean, he's always been that volume guy, but like he looks fresh out there and it's uh it's pretty exciting to see a 33 year old turning around like that. Never see that. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm very impressed by Thielen. He was essentially the worst wide receiver in the league last year on a per route basis. Um, and he didn't look very good on tape, but he looks like a rejuvenated player this year. Obviously, number one option there for Bryce Young, who we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show as well. Um, so without further ado, let's get into what I think is the biggest storyline from last week, and that is CJ Stroud. Uh, he was absolutely incredible uh, in his week five game. In total, had 470 yards, five touchdowns, essentially two game winning drives. 
um, highest rated game um, all year, essentially. So based on that, and I know you and I have been big fans of CJ Stroud for a while, where are you putting Stroud in your rankings as far as, you know, he's, he's been having an incredible rookie year. One other statistic I have for you, uh, CJ Stroud's average net yards per attempt, which is one of my favorite stats because it incorporates interceptions, sacks, touchdowns, yards, all that stuff. Um, he's sixth of any rookie quarterback in their first eight games. The top five are Mahomes, Herbert, RG3, Dante Culpepper, and Dak Prescott. So CJ Stroud in some really, uh, uh, special territory right now. So w- w- where are you ranking him in your dynasty quarterbacks? Yeah, he's comfortably uh quarterback nine. Um, I think that at, by the year end, the most he can go up to is quarterback eight. Um, nothing against him. It's just that with the players that are above him, we're going to need to see multiple years of him doing this. I have no doubt in my mind that CJ Stroud has, you know, he has it in him. He's the real deal. Uh, I've been high on him since, you know, he was at Ohio state and there are certain players that feel the game and know how to just place a ball. It just, it comes second nature to them. His touch is impeccable. Uh, his, his, his decision-making is, is fluid. Um, he, in my mind, uh, is the closest thing we have as a, um, natural processor to Tua, um, in terms of the the stationary quarterbacks and Stroud's not really a stationary quarterback. I, I, I kind of take that back. Uh, he's mobile enough. He just, he's got it in his arm to make plays with his arm. He can extend a play and make a throw. So it's not that he's unathletic or anything. He's just a phenomenal passer. Um, I'm also super excited about what's to come for him because while he has been doing so much with Nico Collins, Dalton Schultz and Tank Dell, uh, he really doesn't have a number one guy. And you have to think that now that the Texans have found their quarterback of the future, they are going to surround him with pieces. So this is a tremendous passer that can do something with nothing. And then he's going to only ascend further once you surround him with real talent. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been working on a Stroud trade for a few weeks. Um, it's basically the 102 in this upcoming draft for Stroud. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our Patreon questions is about Marvin Harrison. So we'll we'll talk about that potential trade later. But I, I'm right there with you on Stroud. It's hard to pass, um, you know, Kyler Murray, Tua, Anthony Richardson, um, who have varying levels of upside, you know, CJ Stroud, he's having a great season. He's sixth in fantasy points per game among quarterbacks, but that is less than two points more than the QB 17 Josh Dobbs. So he hasn't been able to hit the crazy ceiling other than this past weekend. And a big part of that, as you mentioned, is that he's not running a lot, only 9.8, uh, rushing yards per game. Um, but I think what Stroud has shown us is he is going to be, a a star in the league for the next, you know, 10 years. I'm pretty confident to say that already. I think he looks the best of any rookie that I've seen uh, since Justin Herbert. Um, and he's, he's really performing at a high level. Yeah. So <laughs> I came in at, at, at QB nine here and the guy at eight is for me is Justin Herbert. And I, I actually went back last night to look at Justin Herbert's rookie year. Because, you know, Justin Herbert is high in everybody's rankings because he had that insane rookie year. And if you actually compare the numbers between C.J. Stroud and Justin Herbert, in you know, there might be better counting numbers in, in, in Justin Herbert's favor. But if you look at the TD to interception ratio, 
that is strongly in Stroud's favor. He's pacing for close to to the same amount of yards. He's significantly uh, he's he's only off by a little bit on like completion percentage. It's it's pretty damn close to what Justin Herbert did as a rookie. And you know Justin Herbert he had weapons. He had Keenan Allen. He had Austin Eckler. C.J. Stroud's doing this with Tank Dell and Nico Collins. Um, so incredibly incredibly impressive. Uh, rookie season and he will be a star in this league the big question that we have is you know is he going to put up five touchdowns a game four touchdowns a game because without that even if he is a star in the league he is capped from a fantasy perspective to maybe being like a top six guy top seven guy versus you know being a top three guy and still you know being 22 23 years old that's immensely valuable uh but you know if we're going to be floating between T6 and T16, that's a big difference than, you know, T1 to T8. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, Just to give some, the numbers behind uh, Justin Herbert versus CJ Stroud's first eight games of their career. Uh, Herbert was 201 for 301 for 2,300 yards, 19 touchdowns and six picks. CJ Stroud, 173 for 279. 2,300 yards, 14 touchdowns, one pick. So pretty much the same numbers, except CJ Stroud is turning the ball over a whole lot less. Um, He has taken 18 sacks. Herbert took 16 sacks through his first eight games. That's something that happens as a rookie, especially when you're playing behind a bad offensive line. Um, And Herbert, you mentioned, he's been at QB3 to QB5 in startup value basically since that rookie season. Um, and he's been a very good player, but he hasn't really been able to hit the ceiling because he's never gone over 16 rushing yards per game in a season. Um, uh, same thing, for instance, with Joe Burrow, who's never gone over 16 rushing yards in a game for, for a season. So are we worried at all about Strad's value ceiling when we see guys like Burrow and Herbert reach almost Mahomesian levels in terms of value, even though they don't run the ball either? Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with any of these these assets, right? You really have to take a look at them and do a real gut check. Is he is he going to ascend from here? And it's pretty damn hard to ascend when you're throwing for 400 yards and five touchdowns. And, you know, but that, like, I'll push back on the Justin Herbert thing a little bit because I believe he was quarterback two or three in his second year. He was, yeah. Uh, and, like, you're not getting a higher ceiling than that. The problem with Justin Herbert is he's regressed. Um, and you can't have regression if you're going to be a pocket passer and and be consistently in the three to five range. Like you're looking for a Joe Burrow type player who's a flawless game genius. And the problem with Justin Herbert is he's got all the talent in the world, but he's a knucklehead, right? Like he makes mistakes. He is not a tremendous processor. He's kind of a guy that will be like Brett Favre with better talent. Um, CJ Stroud looks like he can be that guy. He J- CJ Stroud looks like he could be like a Joe Burrow. Um, I can't put him up to th- a three to five range, three to six range until we see this for multiple years. Um, until we see what it looks like when he's got, you know, a real, real good set of weapons around him. But I think the early indications are good from a value perspective. If he's going to be jumping up into a late first round startup, early second round startup, um, to me, that is sort of like saying, I am paying for production, best case scenario. And that's not a value spot that I want to be in, right? Like if I'm if I'm going to pay a first round price tag, 
I want it to be like, all right, like we're expecting a floor of top seven and we're shooting for top one. And if we're not getting that, then I want to trade down into an asset that, you know, I'm paying for production. It's going to be similar to what I expect from Stroud. It's coming cheaper. So like I'm okay with trading down from Stroud at this point while the hype's super high. So I, I agree with that process and I, I completely endorse that as far as you're investing in an asset that's essentially it's ceiling in CJ Stroud. My issue with that is the current state of the quarterback position. If you want to move CJ Stroud for Jamar Chase, totally, totally get that, right? That's a pretty even trade in my opinion. And you're getting the number one player at his position with Jefferson Hurt. The issue is that with the quarterback position, there's not a logical dot guy to downgrade CJ Stroud to still get similar production and pick up an asset elsewhere because we've had such a drop off of guys like, you know, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Jared Goff, Brock Purdy, not to mention the whole young core of, you know, uh, Jordan Love, Mac Jones, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter. None of them really came through. Kirk Cousins is hurt. Derek Carr and Russell Wilson aren't performing. So unless you're willing to go down to a guy like Sam Howell or Jared Goff or Purdy, like I mentioned, which to me, I think that's a bit too much of a, uh, of a downgrade in terms of just safety of the asset, unless I'm getting, you know, two to three first at least added on. It's tough to move off CJ Stroud in this environment. I'm almost more tempted to add something and go get Mahomes or Hertz or Allen because, or Lamar, because I think you can do that without adding that much at this point. And there you have the upside and the down and this uh, high floor. Yeah, I totally, I think going up from CJ Stroud is also a very palatable play. Like if you can get a Lamar and, or a Lamar for like a, a second on top of Stroud, or you you might even be able to get Kyler straight up or actually have somebody add to Kyler for, for yep. Stroud. I think that's a great play as well. Um, but just to, just to say, like, I think that there are solid players that you can trade down to. And the two that I, I'll circle is the guys you said not to. <laughs> Dak Prescott and and Deshaun Watson. I mean, yep. people were very, very down on Dak Prescott. And this is the problem with Dynasty. Great players have bad stretches. And we talked a while ago on the last uh, on the last episode we did together where, you know, since Dak's injury, he doesn't run. But Dak Prescott really is supposed to be a quarterback that's going to be throwing 40 times a game. And that is what the Cowboys offense does when they're actually operating well. Um, there was a huge issue with Dallas's offense early in the season, and it looks to have turned around. In the last three weeks, Dak Prescott came in with 25 points and then two 30-point uh, games back-to-back. So I think Dak Prescott's actually back on track. Um, Dak's still 30 years old. He's in his prime. He's going to be around a while. He's not going anywhere. He's tied to CeeDee Lamb. Like, think what you will about McCarthy. I don't think McCarthy's going to be there very long. A long time, but I also think Dak's the type of player that's good enough where he's kind of immune to any sort of offensive scheme. Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and, and sorry, <laughs> sorry, just, just a quick comment on Dak as far as the running goes. He had 12 attempts in his first 12 rushing attempts in his first five games. He's had 17 in his last three games. So basically doubling the rate of rushing, which is very important. We talk about his value. Um, that's only translated into what 70, 73 yards and a touchdown over those three games. But that's enough to give you that extra two to three uh, fantasy points a game from rushing that a guy like CJ Stroud just isn't going to get. 
And then, of course, we've seen the touchdown luck bounce back with seven passing touchdowns in the last two weeks as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I so to go that. from Stroud to Dak, what type of plus would you need? Well, first, I just want to push back here is that Stroud, Stroud has just as much, if more, capability than Dak to rush the football. He's more athletic of a player. He's he's way better at getting out of the pocket. The thing with Stroud is, is he's he's always looking to throw the ball. Dak, on the other hand, uh, you know, if it's there, he's going to take it. And I think the difference there is just maturity. Dak's been around. He knows when it's just time to go, get that first down, move the chains, keep the drive alive. Stroud will get that in time, and it will be more effective because he's a better athlete. So I'm not really worried about Stroud's mobility when it comes to being like a Dak-type runner. Um, yeah, I, I think that's true. I think he is more rushing upside. I kind of think of him more like Joe Burrow's rushing, where yeah. in the last few weeks we've seen Burrow run a lot more since he's gotten healthy. And I think Stroud has that type of, like you said, pocket intelligence as well as mobility. Uh, but w- what are your thoughts on Watson? And then tell me what's the gap you see if you're trading down from Stroud to Watson or Dak? Yeah, so so <laughs> Watson's really worrisome, right? Like he looks terrible. There's no no way around that. Like he does not look good. Um, his he's often late on his throws, which to me is is really worrisome. Because the thing about Watson was he he was a baller. Like he felt the game and delivered. And uh, you know he's got tremendous arm strength, arm talent, um, but that doesn't even look as good anymore. So it's kind of across the board. Watson looks worse. You always want to bet on a guy who's still young and has performed at such a high level to come back and return to form. And that's what's so enticing about Watson, because when he's right, he's a top five guy. Like he's up there with with Burrow, Lamar and Kyler. He Like he would be shitting on Stroud if, you know, he was himself. Yeah. Uh, but he's not himself and he may never be himself again. And the the Browns might not want to run an offense that that plays to his game. So it's really about your risk tolerance with Watson and you can't get a better buy low quarterback than Deshaun Watson right now. It's risky, but like the floor is there at least cause he's going to be around with that contract. And like, we know what he's done in the past. So, so like, you know, I rather trade down to Watson than Dak uh, just because of the upside. Um, but I think that if you're a contender, the better play is to go to Dak because the floor is so high. If I'm looking at trading from Stroud uh, to Dak or Watson, the, the the starting point is those quarterbacks plus a first. Um, I think you can get more than that. Yeah, I, I was about that, to say, I, I think that's the starting point, assuming it's like a mid first. Um, I would aim for more than that. Like I would try to find a team that's falling out of playoff contention, go get Tyreek Hill and Dak Prescott for CJ Stroud, right? Like go really boost your team get some high floor with whatever other asset you get, whether it's a pick or a player like, you know, Travis Etienne, who's producing at a crazy high level. Right. But I would also say like, we we shouldn't be holding out for something like that either, because it's really going to be league by league. Like if you have a league that's so hyper youth oriented, uh, draft capitals at a premium all the time, a guy like CJ Stroud is probably going to have more value. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not all all leagues are like that. And if you really break it down by what CJ Stroud's actually worth, it's probably somewhere around two and a half first, right? He's not at that three first territory yet. Um, you take a guy like Dak or Watson, they're both north of a first. 
So, you know, getting a first on top of that, yeah, that's probably pretty fair. And if you could get like Dak and somebody like, I don't know, uh, like Saquon Barkley, uh, maybe not Terry Kill level in terms of value. Um, I think that could be that that could be really good. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good recommendation. I I think Stroud might be up into that three first range. I mean, he he's uh, like according to most sources, he is that QB seven, QB eight. That's you know a mid to late first in startup drafts. I, I think he's getting close to that three first range. But now is not you know after a career game is never a bad time to sell. But I, there's a lot good ahead for CJ Stroud as well. Um, Let's stick with the quarterback position. I want to get your thoughts on Will Levis, who, of course, is the other uh, rookie quarterback who's really performed at a high level over his two starts. Um, how do you think Will Levis has looked, and how are you judging what his ceiling and floor is right now? Because to me, he's a very interesting dynasty investment who perhaps has the highest highest ceiling and lowest floor for his price that you can find. Yeah, you know, I am pretty jacked up about Will Levis, but I'm I'm yeah. reserving any judgments on his floor ceiling until I see more of him. Um, let's not confuse the unknown for ceiling, and let's not confuse uh, physical raw talent for ceiling either. This is the same mistake as w- what people made with Sam Darnold. It doesn't matter if you can throw the ball 70 yards if you can't place it. Um the thing that we should be excited about with Will Levis is number one, his command of the huddle. Uh, when you're in that two minute drive and you have a rookie quarterback coming into the game in crunch time and he's getting everyone to the line promptly gets the ball out from under the center, three seconds stops the clock and you keep going. Like that's what makes coaches GM say, Hey, we got something here. We have a true leader that's going to manage our offense and ultimately we'll play into their draft day decision-making because the quarterback position in Tennessee needs to be addressed. And if he's the answer, he's got to do stuff like that. Um, in terms of what he's put on tape, like he's thrown some pretty damn fire balls. Like, yeah, I, I've been really impressed with, you know, the, the, um, the deep ball in particular, but also the fact that he can get into the tight windows with his bullet pass. Like it's been pretty cool. He's also been creative outside the pocket uh, he's made some plays that it's like you can't make that play unless you got serious talent. Um, he's also not really uh, done anything to extend trap either, though. So that's the that's really the the drawback. You know, there's these big plays, and then there's a lot of dead drives. So where's the consistency going to come into play? If he's the real deal, this will happen drive after drive. Um, talent's there. Uh, we'll see if he is uh, what he was in college, a guy with a lot of talent that, you know, led a middling team because he was also middling with bad decision-making inconsistent play uh, and splashy, splashy talent. Yeah. And I, I think he has been a bit of a like one trick pony in the NFL over these first two weeks. It's really just been the deep ball. That's been effective when he's thrown it short or medium, which he's barely done. I mean, he's barely thrown it intermediate at all. It's been a lot of screens and design plays in the short game. And then a lot of shot plays, especially off play action in the deep game. When he's had to sit there in the pocket, I think his processing is solid, but he's made a few terrible decisions that could have easily been interceptions. Um, I think that, 
it's a wait and see for me as well with Will Levis. There's talk of him versus a guy like Brock Purdy, who, while we've seen a lot more from him, also we don't know how good he is yet. And a guy like Bryce Young, who is, you know, was a top three pick in rookie drafts, number one pick in the NFL draft, obviously a much better college player than Le- than Levis. How do you view Levis versus those two guys, Purdy and Young? Beneath them both uh, comfortably. Um, I thought a lot about Purdy and Levis since we last talked. And the more I think about Levis, uh, the more I think his ceiling is no higher than Purdy's, right? He's not really a, this mobile guy or anything, and he may have a cannon, but Purdy is the real deal. And I I don't think I need to see more from Purdy. Um, I understand he's in San Francisco's offense. I understand he's got all the weapons in the world, and he has Shanahan. But he is operating that offense flawlessly, and that's just because he's a wicked smart guy. Uh, unless he like, I don't know, has a rapid mental decline. Uh, <laughs> I think that Brock Purdy is, is here to stay. Um, and I trust Shanahan to, to continue to build that offensive line to give him the time he needs to operate that offense. So I think when I'm looking at Purdy, I'm like, okay, I got a solid QB two here, high end QB two long-term, uh, Will Levis. You know, I don't ever see him as like this guy that's going to be a QB one. Uh, I think he's probably more going to be, you know, Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold territory. Um, Ooh, that's, and then Bre- that's not very optimistic. <laughs> Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones. I mean, I, I, I think I'm a little higher on, on Levis than that. Like I, I have him comfortably above the, uh, you know, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr range in terms of dynasty. Sorry. I think that we might just be having a miscommunication here, but when I say like Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones, it's like the type of production you would expect from them. Right. Um, Not necessarily what they are as dynasty assets and, and mind you, the jets and the giants did everything they could to possibly screw those quarterbacks up. Uh, I don't think that we would be talking about them in the same way we are now if they were actually developed properly. But if you're going to say like, hey, 225 to 250 yards, two touchdowns and interception every game with maybe, you know, 25 or less rushing yards. Um, Do you really see Will as a guy that's going to be up to five and touchdowns a game? Yeah, and Levis is a guy who I think you could maybe trade for Deshaun Watson straight up. Um, or try to get Dak Prescott, something like that. He's a guy who I would be looking if you're contending to tear up, or I've traded Levis a few times for 25 firsts that I believe have, you know, top five upside. Um, that's something where, you know, I just spent a second on him. There's really no floor. If I can get a first that has top five upside a year from now, I'm definitely cashing out the chip for that. Um, I want to talk about Levis for Sam Howell, but since we have a patron question on that on Howell later, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's move off of quarterbacks at this point. Talk about some tight ends. This year has been awesome for young tight ends, and we rarely yeah. see it uh, tight ends producing as rookies. I mean, the way that Luke Musgrave has produced so far would be outstanding for a rookie tight end if there wasn't Sam Laporte and Dalton Kincaid doing it. So Dalton Kincaid, of course, last three weeks has had 23 catches on 26 targets for 221 yards and a touchdown. 
He's still being used primarily in the short game with a 4.4 average depth of target, but clearly he's taken over as the number two option in this offense without Dawson Knox. Um, what's your opinion? Everyone who follows me knows how much I love Dalton Kincaid. I'm, I've been thrilled to see what we've seen the last few weeks, even though I still don't think that they're using him the best way. They're using him like Zach Ertz when they should be using him like Travis Kelsey. But either way, love what I'm seeing from Kincaid. How do you think he's looked and how do you compare him versus, you know, really Laporta, Andrews, Hawkinson, and Kelsey, which seems like the top five tight ends at this point? Uh, first of all, um, I have to give you major props for uh, not only spearheading the Dalton Kincaid push this offseason uh, during draft season, um, but also your boldness with the take, your confidence in it. You were spot on. Uh, he is a top five tight end uh, now, dynasty wise. Uh, your sixth round uh, selections of him during drafts in the offseason, I thought, were asinine. They te- turned out to be uh, cheap acquisitions. So bravo, man. Uh, great scouting work. Um, good job. I was Appreciate wrong. It. You were right. Um, I think, you know, there's a few things here that we need to talk about. Number one, just because Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta are killing it at rookies doesn't mean that the landscape of young tight ends has changed. We should still approach young tight ends as if they are going to be used for several years. These are anomalies. They're wonderful anomalies. We love them. The tight end position definitely needed an influx of talent, Um, but these are anomalies. Um, Kincaid and Laporta are real. Um, They are awesome. They are in perfect offenses for their game. Uh, We should expect their production to continue. They will be focal points. Um, So they should both be ranked Accordingly, Um, in terms of my rankings, you know, the top really hasn't changed much um, other than Kincaid and Laporta moving up into the top six. I'm still got I still have Hawkinson uh, number one overall. Um, I don't care what anybody has to say about his ADOT, his efficiency, whatever. The guy is a volume hog because he is the safest chain mover there is at the tight end position. If you watch the Vikings play, most of the catches that he's dropping are him getting sandwiched between two people in premium touch situations. Like if he's going to be in the end zone and two people are going to hit him at the same time. I mean, a lot of times those balls are going to be dropped. It's just what it is, but Hawkinson's going to be a volume hog. He's going to be a part of that offense. It is what it is like, hate it. I don't care. He's putting up points at a crazy level. There's no better tight end producer at, at his age or uh, younger that is putting up these points. Andrews is next. Uh, he is probably the best tight end in the game at this point, especially factor in age. Um, I guess Kelsey is the best tight end in the game still, but yeah. when you factor in age, taking Andrews. After that, you know, I am holding on for dear life to Kyle Pitts. Uh, I, I like I, it might be stupid, but um, you know, there are glimpses here that that talent that we saw rookie years is, is still there. Uh, and Arthur Smith will be fired, so hopefully, he'll be freed. Kelsey, until he dies, uh, he's got to be up there, he's four, and then it comes in with Kincaid and Laporta. I'm more confident on Kincaid, uh, just because I'm more confident that you know, he in his number one in his talent. But number two, that he is actually going to be a focal point of this offense. Um, 
Josh Allen likes tight ends. He just hasn't had a go-to tight end. And now that Dawson Knox is out of the picture and Kincaid's shown that he can be this guy that can get, you know, eight, nine targets, I don't see that as as going away, especially because he can be used in so many different ways. With Laporta, I think it's there. Uh, That being said, it's the same thing with the running backs in Detroit. Who the hell knows what's going on in Dan Campbell's head? And can we actually trust Jared Goff to run a functional offense week in and week out? You can be as good as Laporta is and have a, a goose egg four times a year just because, you know, Dan Campbell suddenly decided that the left tackle should be the primary tight end for a game just to see how the defense adjusts. I mean, who knows really what's going on? Yeah. Um, it works in Detroit, but uh, we don't care if their offense is working when it comes to our fantasy teams accruing points. So I'll give it to, I'll give Kincaid over Laporta there um, for them to jump up. I think it's going to take Kelsey getting older, which will happen. Uh, Kelsey regressing, which uh, will also happen in time. Um, Pitts continuing to disappoint or Arthur Smith getting an extension. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you know, I I think it would take a lot for me to put either Kincaid or Laporta over Hawkinson or Andrews at this point. Yeah, um, I, and I think that's fair. I yeah. I have Andrews number one. He's he's out producing Hawkinson this year. I just think he's a significantly better player. To me, I do have Kincaid number two. Um, Kelsey is such a different animal. Like he's he's almost a, it's hard to rank him against these guys because it's it's really just about your team stage. Um, but I Absolutely. have Kincaid number two because I he's producing the same amount as Laporta if you take out the first three weeks. I know you can't just take them out, but for a rookie tight end, I'm really looking at what have you done for me lately, and I liked him a lot better on film. Laporta's already putting up only a point less than Hawkinson, so I have him at number three. I still love Kyle Pitts just like you do. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot to love in all of these tight ends, and I think there's beginning to be a bit of separation between the top tier uh, of these six tight ends and the next level. When you look at Dallas Goddard just got injured. Um, Evan Ingram has been, you know, fine, but he's Evan Ingram. George Kittle is incredibly inconsistent. Darren Waller hasn't had the breakout year people wanted. Um, And then we have options of a bit unknowns. Like, you know, are we trusting Jake Ferguson? Um, Are we trusting David Njoku? Like to me, these guys are really low-end tight end ones. There seems to be a clear top six for me with, of course, Brock Bowers coming in soon to make it seven. Yeah, you know, I just – I love actually that you brought up Angram. Um, this might be the one player that we're going to disagree with at the tight end position, but I absolutely love Evan Angram now. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm actively buying Evan Angram shares. Um he, he is a, a real part of Jacksonville's offense. They're using him very creatively and very consistently. And all of the issues that he had in terms of focus and drops seem to have gone with the wind. Um, I, I really appreciate Evan Ingram's consistency. I, I like his role in that offense. And if I am 
in a position where I need to acquire somebody for like a second round price tag. And that's the difference between my contender being a legitimate contender and not being a really like a, a force in the playoffs. I'm absolutely doing that. I might even pay a little bit more. I'm, I'm probably not touching yeah. it first, but uh, Evan Engram, like if you, if you don't have a good tight end, your the rest of your team's rock solid. He's going to raise the floor of your team where you could be a really competitive team. So I love Evan Engram. Uh, the other guy I'm keeping an eye on is David Njoku, uh, who actually looks like he's emerged as a legitimate player. Yeah. Um, he looks like he can play with whatever qu- uh, quarterback. I don't quite have him as high as Evan Engram just because Engram is so consistent and he does have a reliable quarterback and his role is like defined and clear cut. Whereas David Njoku is more like a little bit more boomer bust. Um, but those two guys I like as, as uh, legitimate tight ends that you can rely on hopefully for the long term and at very reasonable price tags. Yeah, and Evan Ingram was a guy I was going to bring up uh, later when we talk about potential veteran buys. Um, his targets this year, 5, 8, 8, 8, 6, 7, 7, 10. That is just about yep. as consistent as you get. He's averaging about five points more, four and a half points more than Kyle Pitts is this year. So if you have Kyle Pitts as your starter and you're a contender, if you have Dallas Goddard and he just got hurt, um, even if you're looking like, like I wouldn't mind moving a guy like Sam Laporta for a superstar wide receiver and then go going and trading a second to get Evan Ingram. Like if you can turn Sam Laporta and two seconds into Amon Ross St. Brown and Evan Ingram, like to me, that's a huge upgrade that I would recommend uh, making or using it to upgrade quarterback or wherever you might want to do it. Um Let's move on. Uh, talk about some, uh, let's talk about the dynasty wide receiver three. Uh, let's skip the running backs. There's, there's a, there's too much going on there to talk about in, uh, any type of brevity. Um, who is your dynasty wide receiver three? Uh, this is, this is just a question I have for you. Jamar Chase. Next question. Jesus. So you have CD lamb number two. I do. Yeah. Okay. What's, what's your thinking there? Better player. Like I, I think Jamar Chase is incredible, but I also think he's incredibly overrated. Yeah, I mean, I I actually, I agree. I do think that Jamar Chase is overrated as a player. I, I don't think he's a top, like, five NFL wide receiver. So so when I look well, at it, it's like... Mm, top, he's not top four. I can name four that I know are better than him. Five, maybe not. Yeah, uh, to me, CeeDee Lamb is is a better player, and he's getting better volume. And, like... I understand that people love yards after the catch, but the most reliable fantasy produce production comes from accruing receptions. Yep. And CeeDee Lamb is 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 that guy now. Like he he's got an insane target share. Like he the the, the Cowboys are throwing at a, a very high clip. Um you're never really worried about your production from from CeeDee Lamb and uh you know, he struggled a little bit as a rookie with fundamentals. He struggled with drops. Um, but we also have to acknowledge that, you know, we're not judging CeeDee Lamb the rookie anymore. We're, we're judging CeeDee Lamb the established wide receiver, one of the Cowboys. And he's run tremendously, whereas Jamar Chase is kind of the same guy, if not a little bit of regression since he entered the league. Yeah, and CeeDee Lamb uh, of players with at least uh... – 
what is that? Uh, 47 targets. CD Lamb is fourth in yards per route run. His ADOT is about average uh, at 10.8, but his yak per reception is actually solid. He's tied for ninth um, among those in yards after catch per reception. Um, that is a head, uh, uh, that is, uh, sorry, only 0.2 yards less than Jamar Chase. So even there, he's improving. Of course, these last two weeks where he's got 30 targets uh, makes a big difference for C.D. Lamb. If we talked two weeks ago, uh, your point would sound a little bit more ridiculous, but I don't think it's a coincidence that C.D. Lamb's 30 targets have coincided with Dak Prescott getting seven touchdowns and getting his season back on track. Um, I do like that they're prioritizing more, and C.D. Lamb is averaging more points than Jamar Chase this season. So while while I don't agree with you to have C.D. Lamb above him, I, I understand it, and I, I don't think it's as outrageous as it might first seem. Let's just like talk a little bit about the Cowboys offense because yeah. I think that there's been a, a, a fundamental shift in their approach because Tony Pollard is – I mean, this is, this is what the Tony Pollard haters have said all along is he's not a bell cow running back. He he's been bad. Do. Yeah, he's well, been really bad. The reason he's been bad is because the way he's being used is not what his game is. He is not a guy that's going to beat the hell out of the linebackers. He needs a supplementary back to beat down those linebackers so that he can get outside and do what he does. Now that he's 26 years old and he's being used like he's Ezekiel Elliott, people are realizing, hey, different types of players have different roles. And what the Cowboys are realizing is, we are not going to be insane and bash our head into the wall and expect a different result the next time. We're going to do what we can do, which is use our quarterback that can throw every pass on the field and get it to our top receiver. And the more that the Cowboys realize this, the more they've been passing, the numbers have gone up for Dak, the numbers have gone up for Lamb. And unless if McCarthy reverts to thinking that, you know, Tony Pollard running up the middle is going to result in anything but three yard carries with no impact on the defense. Uh, this is what's going to be uh, the Cowboys offense moving forward. So, um, you know, take it what you will, but you can't just plug any player into the lead back role and, and say, you know, their production is going to be the same as if they're a gadget player. Yeah. And if you look at how the Cowboys started the season, obviously game script comes into this a lot. The Cowboys have not played a lot of normal games before this game against Philly there had been one lead switch in the first eight weeks for, sorry, the first seven games for Dallas, meaning it's been a blowout one way or the other in basically every game. Um, we saw them start off the season dropping back less than 50% of the time. Uh, their drop back over expected through the first uh, seven, sorry, six games was negative, meaning they dropped back less than expected. Now coming off the bye, they've dropped back to pass 9% more than expected and it's been 71% of the time have been their dropbacks over the last two weeks. Um, a huge boost over the first six. So if you're looking at the entire Cowboys passing offense, which Jake Ferguson seems like the second option now, um, I think you can give a big boost for all of those. Uh, my dynasty wide receiver three, for what it's worth, is Amon Ross St. Brown. Haven't moved him, haven't felt a reason to. Uh, but I have CeeDee Lamb uh, in that tier as well. I think to me, the most important point that you and I are making by not mentioning him is that Justin Jefferson is in a tier of his own as wide receiver one. Even despite this injury, he is just the best receiver in the league. I don't think it's particularly close uh, other than Tyree Kill. 
who is obviously a lot older. So I, I, Justin Jefferson, to me, if you've been able to move Chase for Jefferson, I hope it's paid off for you now that the Vikings have won a few games. Um, we have a question about Josh Dobbs coming up, so we don't have to talk about him too much here. But I assume you endorse the Jefferson tier of his own take. I not only endorse that take, but I'm on record saying that Justin Jefferson is the greatest receiver of all time. Uh, I don't need to see more. It's like me saying a, a, a year ago that Patrick Mahomes is better than Tom Brady. Like sometimes, you know, a player is what they are. Nobody's ever been at that talent threshold. And as long as they say, stay healthy, they'll go down in the record books as the greatest of all time. But in terms of talent, that's graced the football field. No receiver has done it better than Justin Jefferson. And you know, until somebody does, he's the goat. Yeah, I think Mahomes is more talented than Brady. He is not greater than Brady. I don't know. Okay, uh, Pats fan. I admit it. I admit it. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on and hit some of the patron questions. We got 16 patron questions here. Um, we can kind of – let's rapid fire them for the most part, but obviously uh, if any are particularly interesting, we can get into it. So let's start off by talking about – the Green Bay Packers. Um, I have a question coming in from Footy three eight zero one, asking about um, what to do with Jordan Love, what to do with Christian Watson. Um, I would like to do a short victory lap on Jordan Love before I uh, anti victory lap on Christian Watson. He is terrible. After the first two games of the season where he put up six touchdowns on like 50 pass attempts, everyone was going wild. It was so clear that this was an aberration. Jordan Love is proving that he's not an NFL quarterback, which is what I said after week three, and people thought I was insane. I don't think Jordan Love is a starter in the NFL next season or ever. I think he's on the Sam Darnold, uh, sorry, the uh, Josh Rosen track. Um, Anyways, I am getting rid of Jordan Love for anything. I've seen him still being sold for first in the last few weeks. To me, that makes no sense. I think he should be right there with Mac Jones and Kenny Pickett as a quarterback who's not going to do anything. So, Let's start off with Jordan Love, and then you can give me some shit on Christian Watson. I love that. Uh, yeah, Jordan Love's terrible. Salvage what you can. Um, like, actually salvage. Trade him for Baker Mayfield. Uh, like, yep. Baker Mayfield, at least, is probably going to be a starting quarterback in the league for years to come. Whether or not yep. he's a meaningful one, at least he will be one. So, like, do that. Um Trade, trade Jordan Love for somebody who's going to help your team this year. If you find a quarterback needy team, maybe you can add a little bit and get Mike Evans uh, or an Alvin Kamara, like one of these productive position players that can make you a contender. Uh, I don't know if you can even get a second for Jordan Love at this point, simply because like the people that are sending that second probably would rather get somebody like Derek Carr or uh, would rather hold on to their second because it has more potential and more value insulation than Jordan Love. So I'd really go into salvage what you can mode. He is terrible. Um, Christian Watson, I don't know if you want to talk about him first, but you know I have a few things to say. Yeah, well, all I would say about Jordan Love is I actually think you can get a lot more than what you're saying. Um, I'm just looking at some of the recent trades. Almost all of them involve at least a first of value for Jordan Love. I'm seeing Jordan Love for Josh Jacobs. I'm seeing Jordan Love for Kirk Cousins in a first. Like all of these deals, uh, you have to absolutely smash. Um, I'll talk about Christian Watson uh, briefly before you can get into him. A lot of it is 
Jordan Love is just absolutely terrible and a terrible fit for Christian Watson. Love cannot throw it deep at all. And Christian Watson is back to essentially just running deep routes. Um, it's why his targets per route run is so low um, on the season. His targets per route run is 18%. He's not getting any of the splash plays that he got with Rodgers. Um, whether or not that was foreseeable uh, is up to you, but there have been a lot of plays that he's been wide open deep and that Jordan Love has not been able to hit him on. Um, I will say he's basically a write-off for the season. Definitely don't start him. I like him as a buy low. He, you can get him for a second, I'm sure, at this point. But I would. He's already 25. Uh, or sorry, he's turning 25 next season. He was an older rookie, uh, and obviously the Packers QB situation is going to be a mess because they won't have a that high of a pick. Uh, and Jordan Love is terrible. So I, 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 I was wrong on Christian Watson. Uh, readily admit that i still think he's a good buy low in comparison to a guy like sky Moore or someone who i think you should just throw out uh but what do you think about watson yeah so i think he's like he, this is a really good learning example um that we should probably just carry with us moving forward um there, there's always times where a rookie falls into a tremendous situation and gets gaudy fantasy production. Um, and it gets everyone jacked up because they're like, wow, this guy's producing so early. He is that next great thing. Like we should get in on it before it's too late. And I think the, the reality with Christian Watson was, you know, what other receivers were in Green Bay last year? There, there were none. Like, they're Alan Lazard. Okay. Um, and then you have a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback having one of his best seasons. Um, and then you look at – and then you break it down further, and it's like what, what really went into his fantasy production? And you come up with an unsustainably high touchdown rate. Um, you come up with plays where there's just blown coverage and, and, you know, he did have a few impressive catches, but like the overwhelming majority of Christian Watson's fan production came from uh, touchdowns, uh, blown plays, blown coverages, and a player with Christian Watson's athleticism is going to have those plays, right? Like he is this super freak athlete. He can break away. He can make you pay for a blown coverage. But to be a, a, a star receiver in this league, you need to actually be a good receiver. Like you need to be able to run routes. You need to have spatial awareness. And the big worry about Christian Watson coming into the league was that he was this incredibly raw prospect that really needed to develop as a receiver. So when we look at look back on his rookie season, we, we, we're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find examples of anything that assuaged our concerns of him entering the league. Meanwhile, people took that gaudy fantasy production, ignored the, the incredibly different situation he's now in. Now he's got this mediocre at best quarterback and, and a second-round talent coming in uh, to play opposite of him. Um, and he looks like crap. I mean, like, who would have thought that this player that, you know, lived or died on the touchdown with a guy with a Hall of Fame quarterback that can place it perfectly and is not afraid to take chances uh, would somehow not be the same guy 
when he's got, got actual target competition and a quarterback that can't do that. I mean, like, this is one of those things where you really got to dive into the player and not just take the, 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 the fantasy numbers on its surface and say, you know, he's a rookie. He did this. 95% of people did this, uh, have become something else. Like, you know, these things are predictable if you actually dive into the player. Yeah, and looking back at the fifth and sixth round wide receivers from last year uh, from startups, basically you were deciding between Watson, Quentin Johnston, Jerry Judy, Jordan Addison, George Pickens, Brandon Ayuk, Traylon Burks. Like you have a lot of big hits there and a lot of big misses. If if you're looking back at some of your startup teams, which wide receiver you picked in the fifth, sixth round, uh, you know, Zay Flowers is in there as well, um, probably says a lot about where your team is at this point. Um, let's talk about one that I'm excited to talk about with you, uh, fellow Michigan grad, who is the second best quarterback in this upcoming draft? And this was sent in by caddy wag. Man, it's just like, so this is such a boring conversation for me to have because anytime I say it, like people think I have nine heads and (laughs) I'm convinced that like, there is some sort of universal hatred of the university of michigan but jj mccarthy might be the best quarterback in this draft class all right okay like, I, I was I, I was gonna say are you is your answer caleb williams that's what no, i thought no, you were no. gonna say yeah okay. caleb caleb williams is my is is like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be go that far out on a limb but it wouldn't surprise me if jj mccarthy ends up being better like Caleb Williams is going to be awesome. And we we know that he is this incredible prospect. But J.J. McCarthy is this incredible prospect. I see no holes in his game other than he needs to put on weight. Like, he's he's people are worried about his deep ball. Okay, like, he's one of the most accurate deep ball passers there is this year. People are worried about his arm strength. He's got a laser. Like, he fits it into ridiculously tight windows. And he's throwing every single route that there is. People are worried about mobility. I, like he's one of the best rushing quarterbacks in college football. He doesn't do it a lot because he's a Michigan quarterback. We run a pro style offense, but JJ McCarthy's fast as hell, understands the park pocket, gets out of there. And you know what he can do better than like any other prospect in his classes. When he's on the run, he throws absolute dimes. Like JJ McCarthy is, is the second best quarterback in this draft class to me it is not close i think he's as close of a thing to a sure thing uh as a quarter prospect as it comes um unfortunately for him caleb williams exists yeah so he has to settle for number two and and talking about the deep ball which you know i mean we're both michigan fans so you hear me talk about jj mccarthy a lot obviously last year it was bad This year, it's been awesome. He's second in college football in terms of completion percentage on deep targets. uh, 23 for 38 for 646 yards, 10 touchdowns, and one pick on deep throws. Um, That's good for a 95.2 PFF grade. He's first in PFF grade overall. Um, He is running a pro-style offense, which you can't say about most of these other guys. Drake May is to an extent. I think that J.J. McCarthy is also better than Drake May. And to me, I haven't fully evaluated May. This is just based on what I've seen watching college football. I think J.J. McCarthy is the superior talent. Now, we know that Drake May is probably going to go second or third overall. I think J.J. McCarthy is going to be a top 10 pick. Um, 
Whether or not that happens remains to be seen. I hope he comes back. I don't think that's going to happen at this point, but I agree. I think JJ McCarthy has been unbelievable this season and he does possess a lot of dual threat upside that these other guys don't, that he hasn't had to show because Michigan, first of all, has been winning every game by 40 points. So why would he risk himself? And second of all, they want him to learn to drop back and go through his progressions. And he's been able to do that. I mean, Last year, his yards per attempt was 6.0. That's not good at all for a college quarterback. This year, it is 8.0. Oh, sorry. I was looking at his, uh, I was looking at his rushing. Um, I was like, that makes absolutely no sense. Um, last year, his, uh, his yards per attempt was 8.4. This year, it's 10.4. So it's gone up a full two points. His big-time throw rate is 9.1%. It was 5.5 last year. So that's also gone up a ton. I'm right there with you with J.J. McCarthy. He is going to be a bargain in the mid to late firsts of uh, Superflex drafts. Yeah, and, and and to be honest, I think that, you know, the people that are projecting Drake May as quarterback two or three are not really paying attention. Um, I think that the, the entire conversation about quarterbacks uh, in this upcoming draft class has been shifting in the NFL community. Like the actual real scouts that are out there are noticing J.J. McCarthy. Uh, people are really, really buying into what he's doing. Um, so I think that, you know, when it comes down to the combine time, we're, we're probably going to see J.J. McCarthy even being mocked as the first overall player on the board by some hot take enthusiasts, uh, but like more so the second overall player off the board. Um, and, and whether it's McCarthy or May or Bo Nix or Michael Penix or Jaden Daniels or Shader Sanders, there's a lot of really interesting quarterbacks in this draft. I think the depth of quarterback, just like we saw with Will Levis this last year, is going to push players down who have the potential to be, you know, top 50 dynasty assets. So I'm going to once again be investing a ton of late firsts and early seconds into whichever quarterback slide. Yeah, and you know, Mike, uh, just to just to say something about his deep ball passing last year, uh, we had this conversation last year, and we disagreed. And I think that when you dive into your scouting, you're going to find that the deep ball issue with McCarthy, it was not an issue with McCarthy. It was a, a, an issue with his receivers. There were no deep ball threats at Michigan last year. There were a ton of drop balls. There were a ton of routes that were given up on. Uh, JJ McCarthy has been dropping dimes since he has become the starting quarterback at Michigan. And, you know, I truly believe that the numbers for the deep ball last year for McCarthy are not representative of what his tape was. So, yeah. And and I'm excited to look in, I'm excited to look into that tape. As I said, this year, he's 23 for 38 on deep balls. Last year, he was 22 of 56. So he had 18 more attempts and one less completion. Um, so clearly he's, he's improved a ton there and I, I hope you're right. Um, let's move on to the next question. This is another 2024 draft focused question. Um, what is Marvin Harrison's value or what is the value of the one Oh two in a super flex draft, the one Oh one in a non super flex draft? What would you trade that for right now or trade for it? Well, I think, I think the value is certainly at least a top 10 receiver. Um, and oh, I think be, it's top five. Well, sure. I, what I was going to say is it could be as high as a top five receiver, but that also depends on the landing spot. You know, if yeah. he gets drafted to the Patriots and the Patriots have Mac Jones, I'm just going to run through 
a wall and off a bridge. Um, although you the Patriots are not happy. going to start Mac Jones next year. It's just not going to happen. There's no, even if they don't draft a quarterback, they will go get Carson Wentz before they start Mac Jones. Listen, I, I think, you know, Bill Belichick is like on his way to the nursing home facility. Like I, like we don't know what's going on in, in uh, geriatric Gillette. So um, we, We'll see what happens with the Patriots, but Marvin Harrison, you know, he is, he is one of the best prospects to enter the league. One of the best receiver prospects to ever enter the league. Uh, I have no concerns over him. Uh, I don't want to peg a value on him until I know where he's going to go. Um, but, you know, if I'm, if I'm not contending and I got a guy like Stefan Diggs, probably trying to move Stefan Diggs in a little extra to go down to Marvin Harrison at this point, like maybe throw two seconds on top of Diggs for the one, one, two, um, something like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to get too over ambitious, but maybe like Chris Olave in a couple seconds, I would probably do. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens because uh, like a lot of people have Harrison as their wide receiver three dynasty already. So yes. you might be able to go get CD lamb or Monroe St. Brown for Marvin Harrison. Um, that I would, I would definitely take CD lamb and I'm yeah. over to be honest. I, yeah, I would, I would take both of them over Marvin. You got to show me in this league. I understand people want the next freaking shiny toy, but like, it's the NFL. It's, 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 it's very hard to play in the NFL and people forget it. Yeah. And I know he's a better prospect than Garrett Wilson was, but look at what's happened to Garrett Wilson in his first two years where he he's been great. Like you can't deny he looks great, but he's been absolutely useless for your fantasy team. So you never know what's going to happen with Harrison. Uh, The first, the top six in the draft right now, Arizona, Kyler's not a bad not a bad spot. Chicago's got two picks. So maybe you get, you know, Drake may or JJ McCarthy and Marvin Harrison, but the next three are the giants, Ram, uh, Patriots, Rams, Packers, Buccaneers, Broncos, Titans, Falcons, commanders. None of them. These teams have quarterbacks Vegas. That's, that's why they're the worst teams in the league. None of them have quarterbacks. So you could see some quarterback hell from Marvin Harrison, although it has been encouraging seeing him succeed in quarterback hell this year at Ohio state, which is essentially what they've had. Um, it is quarterback hell, but you know, those two guys are actually boys. Like they've been playing together for a long time. And you know, there's something to be said about chemistry where McCord can, can still deliver a ball nicely to his, to his number one guy. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm excited to play Ohio state because the quarterback's so shitty. Like this is going to be third year in real high. Let's go. <laughs> So next question comes from VH Soma. I know you're not a big tanker, uh, Jacob, but if you have a league where you're, where you're trying to tank, where you're trying to get the 101 and you are a few points off the 101 because guys like young, good players like uh, Jameer Gibbs and Josh Downs and are the examples that he gives here, keep getting points and ruining your chance of getting the 101. Are you taking any type of discount on these players in order to get to the 101 instead of the 102? And if so, how big of a discount? Or are you just saying, you know, if my young guys are so good that I get stuck with the 102, so be it? No. Uh, this is a false choice, right? 
you can always make a trade to reduce your points and sustain value. And you should never, ever take a discount because then what you're actually doing is you're eating into whatever sort of benefit you're trying to get. So if you take a discount on Gibbs and then you take Caleb, the upside of Caleb is now reduced by whatever discount you gave. There's no yeah. point in that. And you don't have to do that. Uh, Very can- well said. Yeah. Especially to me, when you're talking about guys like Gibbs and Josh Downs who are worth, you know, first round picks plus to me, that changes. If you have a guy like Deontay Foreman, right? Like if you can't get a third round pick for him, get a fourth, who cares? Right? Like don't let Deontay Foreman keep you from getting Caleb. But if Jameer Gibbs keeps you from getting Caleb, yeah, but so be it. Or get more creative with your trades because like you said, and I, you're one of the most creative, aggressive, diligent traders that I know, you will knock down everyone's door trying to find a trade that works for both sides. And there's always one to be found if you work hard enough. Right. And like, just because you're a tanker doesn't mean you can't get like older guys. So like, for example, you can trade for an Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers will be super discounted. He will get you zero points and you might not want Aaron Rodgers moving forward, but you know, when he comes back next year, assuming he does come back and all indications say he will, somebody will give you value, probably more value than you bought him for now. So meanwhile, exactly. like you would be trading into an asset that you get zero points on and you'll still get upside in terms of value. Uh, exactly. And you can it's, make it's, it's, the- it's just like a value placeholder, right? Like a store, a safe store of value, Nick Chubb, Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers, all, yeah. all these guys come in. Um, the way- you know, I, the- I, I went and I traded Michael Gallup for Kendrick Bourne after Bourne got hurt, right? Is Bourne going to be worth anything next year? Who the hell knows? But Gallup, I wasn't going to get anything for it. He was costing my team points. So that's, that's the range that I'm talking about. But when you have a stud like Jameer Gibbs, like what would you be looking for to get Gibbs? Let's say that no one has any, the only other, no one's going to give you two good firsts for him. You've gone to all the contenders. They don't have their picks. What are you aiming for with an elite young player like Jameer Gibbs or Brees Hall or, you know, Jalen Waddle? Or are you just keeping them? I mean, like, I think a really good trade, if you're trying to get rid of Gibbs points, is to target a guy like Kyle Pitts. Because, like, yep. you're going to get Pitts plus, and Pitts is going to have a longer career, and Pitts might be the better player when all said and done. Um, and Very good same, suggestion. Yeah, like so, so, like... If you're trying to shed points from from Jameer Gibbs, it's 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 one of those things where you don't want to trade out of that tier, but you do want to manage points. I think Pitts is an excellent guy to target. Um, uh, I, I have another suggestion on a guy on a guy to target. Um, Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young get a pick, get a first round pick on top because Bryce Young's not scoring a lot of points for you. And you know, if you're a tanking team, you probably have a few quarterbacks. Um, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, these are guys I'd be thinking of, you know, obviously try to get picks on top, but those are some guys who come to mind to me. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. uh, Not as a primary piece, but as a secondary piece, he's still around Jerry Judy, Um, extremely depressed price tag. And regardless of if you ever think he's going to hit the ceiling that uh, some, including myself, uh, thought or think that he has or had, um, 
he's still going to be a relevant player in the NFL, still young, still retains yeah. value and will have a market uh, and is and, not producing very much right now. Most importantly. And just to be complete, this is the obvious one, Anthony Richardson, of course, if you can pull that off. Um, let's move on to the next question and talk. Uh, let me just pull this up. Next question comes in from Jay Nay. Now that Josh Dobbs is the quarterback in Minneapolis, what's the short in Minnesota? Wow. What's the short-term outlook this year for offensive weapons in that system? Death. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll let me let me couch this. Josh Dobbs uh, is is probably fine for whoever's getting slot targets. Uh, he's probably fine for Hawkinson. Uh, it's concerning for Addison and Jefferson. Um, overall production for everybody should be going down. Uh, Dobbs okay. is not good. Yeah, I mean, overall, it will definitely go down if we look at just because, I mean, Kirk Cousins was playing the best I've ever seen him play, like top five quarterback this season, and their dropback rate was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, here's their dropback rate the first five weeks, 75%, 84%, 71%, 48%, 75%. Average is about 60. So they were dropping back a ton. The thing is, is that I do think it's going to be okay for Hawkinson because, you know, Minnesota has no run game and Josh Dobbs targeted, you know, Zach Ertz a whole lot uh, when he was in Arizona. So I, I think it'll be okay, but um, yeah, I would expect, a downgrade for, for a slight downgrade for Justin Jefferson, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, next question uh, also comes from Jane A. Uh, no, sorry. I, I didn't have the name for this one, but if you're a win now team and you get a crazy offer for one of your productive veterans, like Stefan Diggs or Alvin Kamara, what do you do? Uh, take it, uh, take it, then reinvest it, make profit. Um, there are some really good uh, producers who had slow starts to the season that you can get at a discount. You can get the same production and then just pocket the profit. So like a guy that comes to mind is Josh Jacobs. Uh, of course that's rich coming from me, but Josh Jacobs was uh, dog shit entering the year, uh, early start of the year. His offensive line was terrible. His efficiency was down. His usage wasn't uh, useful. Um, and then uh, what happened was he remembered how to play football um, <laughs> And now he actually looks like Josh Jacobs from last year. The production's still on its way back and it might never touch what it was last year, but it doesn't have to. The offensive line is doing better. Uh, Josh Jacobs is um, not running through mud anymore. Uh, and most importantly, uh, there was a player's revolt in Las Vegas. Um, essentially, they had a meeting ripped Jimmy Garoppolo and Josh McDaniels to shreds. Um, And it was primarily led by Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs for being winning uh, players with winning mindsets that were frustrated by being on the treadmill of mediocrity. Uh, I actually think that like treadmill of mediocrity would have been generous for what was going on. I was going to say that is, that is a Um, nice way to say what was happening in Vegas. Yeah. I I agree there with Jacobs. Um, but there are other guys, and then there are other vets that just don't get respected, right? Like Mike Evans, for example, yep. is one of these players that I don't know why people hate him. Uh, maybe he's extremely boring. But like for 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 the analytic analytics community, I don't know why they hate him because he is one of the biggest boomer bust guys. Like he can single handedly win you any week. And then for the people that just like 
steady, consistent production deep guy. Gibbons is one of the best receivers to play in the league in a very long time. Like he is overall just a great player, regardless of how you play this game. Most importantly, he is a uh, a perfect fit with Baker Mayfield. They have a great, great uh, connection, and that's not going anywhere. Um, so Mike Evans, you can get mad cheap and a lot cheaper than Diggs. He's not going to lose you a ton of production. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if someone gives you two firsts for Stephon Diggs, go trade one of them and pocket the other one, right? If someone trades you, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs in a second for Alvin Kamara, great. Keep Josh Jacobs, keep the second, you just upgraded. So yeah, if if anyone offers you a very good value deal, I would accept it no matter what, regardless of your situation, and then just make another trade. Um, yeah, yeah don't, do be you- af- don't be afraid to do cascading trades. Like, Actually, that's probably the best way that you can go about trading is knowing that like whatever trade you do is just going to open doors to other deals. What you do not want to do, what you absolutely do not want to do is trade from a guy that's super marketable into a that's not marketable at equal value because then you're just making a lateral move and and essentially destroying your future. So you really want to make sure that, you know, if you're trading from a high end vet, it's okay to get younger. It's okay to go into whatever. But if you're trading from like a Jameer Gibbs, you don't want to be trading into an Alvin Kamara because, you know, you're getting what you think is good value because a year from now, that's not going to be good value. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, Let's talk about the next question. This comes uh, also from Jay Nay. Uh, what do you do with young quarterbacks you can't get value for? So guys like Mac Jones, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter. Um, hypothetically, these guys are worth second round picks, but no one's giving up a second for these guys. I guess Ritter is now benched, so maybe not him. But w- what do you do with these guys to try to get some value for them? You find players... Uh, that do have value that aren't sexy like Baker. Uh, you also can find players that have severely disappointed, but shown glimpses of hope. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure for a quarterback needy team, you could probably put a second on Mac and get a Jerry Judy. Uh, you could probably do the same for a Quentin Johnston. Um, whether or not that will ultimately lead you to a better outcome, that's to, to be determined. But, you're pretty much going on a path to nowhere with Mac Pickett, Ritter, Love. So why not try? Yeah, um, I, I agree. Go get a future second from a team that's really old right now. Hope that it turns into some upside. Um, try to try to put them in a package, disguise the shit, right? Like if someone, you know, try to trade CJ Stroud plus Mac Jones plus two seconds and go get, you know, Josh I, Allen. I, I just got last week or maybe it was the week before. I just got Deshaun Watson. For Mac Jones in a 25 first. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. That's exactly what type of thing you need to be doing. Um, you already mentioned Mike Evans and Josh Jacobs, but any other players you recommend buying now that you might think be sneaky buy lows for a playoff push? Yeah, uh, I got a few here. Um, Calvin Ridley. Uh, I, I think Calvin Ridley had that splash week one and people got excited. His value went through the roof. It was stupid. And then he had a few come uh, come to earth games, yeah, um, like but you know, like Calvin Ridley, every like I actually kind of like what he's been doing. 
you know, yep. he, he's had a few tough catches that have just fallen a little bit outside. Um, he, he might be shaking off a little rust, but I think he's there. Like, I think Calvin Ridley is still a player to keep an eye on for this season. Um, and I, I'm not really worried about his fall off. I think we've seen enough to see that he's still got it in him. Um, another guy, uh, Josh, well, I said Josh Jacobs, Mike Evans, another guy, uh, on here, I have Jonathan Taylor. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, even though he's back, like people are still a little sour on him. Uh, he hasn't been doing everything that, you know, he used to, he's still being eased back into the offense. Um, and he's also just not that flashy, sexy running back anymore, like Bijan or Brees Hall or Jameer Gibbs. Like people are really starting to think of Jonathan Taylor at, you know, running back five, six. And that's kind of silly. Cause like, Jonathan Taylor might be the best running back in the game. Um, yeah, and 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 JT only had you know uh, forty seven rushing yards last week. He did add five catches, but last week is really when he first took over the offense since he got back. Seventy five percent, seventy five percent snap share, sixty two percent of the rushing attempts, seventy five percent of the routes. Uh, Zach Moss was below 20% snap share. So Look, it's JT's backfield again. I, I like that one as well. Yeah. Um, and, and he's cheaper than he should be. Uh, yeah. other guys, uh, other guys I like, uh, you know, we said Evan Engram before, um, DJ Moore, uh, he's proven to be quarterback proof and, uh, it seems like a focal point of the bears offense. He's a wide receiver one on the year, I believe. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, teabag's been I, but uh, I actually like Justin Fields for more and more. Um, so I think DJ Moore is a guy that you can get probably like two seconds and a flyer, like a good flyer, uh, and that's pretty cool. He's yeah, also uh, still young and going to be on your team producing for a while, so that's also cool. Uh, yeah, Dynasty community he- hates him, so that's great for your for your wallet. Um, yeah, a few a few other quick recommendations I got. Uh, George Kittle, I still think is a is a guy who can help you produce at a big level, and he's really cheap right now. Um, Aaron Jones is a guy I've been targeting. James Conner is going to be coming back from injury and can fill in. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of cheap options out there. I do prefer to invest in the younger guys, like you mentioned, like DJ Moore, who might be undervalued. Um, looking at the difference between fantasy points and expected fantasy points um, is a good way to get some undervalued players. Uh, You know, T Higgins has been at the top of that list for a while. Uh, One guy that really pops out there who I personally don't believe in, but there is a good analytics case for is Elijah Moore, uh, a young player who has shown upside in the past. He is underperforming his usage right now, but ideally with Deshaun Watson coming back, he might give you some cheap flex value and he's young enough um, to uh, uh, maintain some value. Thank you for this reminder. I am so glad you brought up Elijah Moore because this is actually the player I have bought the most shares of this year during the course of the season. And um, there's a few reasons for it. Uh, and I know that you were a, an Elijah Moore guy early on when he was with the Jets in his rookie year and yep. you were super amped up about him and uh, sort of gave up on him. And I, ho- I hope you come back I hope you come back because it would be phenomenal to to ride this train together. But he is suffering from one of the worst catchable target rates and target qualities in the NFL. He's 93rd in target quality 
and 82nd in catchable target rate per player profiler. So uh, he is, you know, he's getting targets. They're just terrible targets. And when you watch Elijah play, he's getting separation. He's, he's, he's actually like impressing on the field. It just so happens that his opportunities are dog shit. So like once Deshaun Watson theoretically figures it out, I have faith that Elijah Moore will emerge. And uh, hopefully that also coincides with um, the inevitable regression of Amari Cooper, who's having a good year. Yeah, um, and it's pretty, it's pretty crazy that Elijah Moore is that low in terms of his catchable target rate, despite the fact that he also is not seeing a very deep A dot. But yeah, that's an interesting... It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. It's, I, I, so like, it's I, 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 like What we really needed to see was that Elijah Moore would be you know looked at right because elijah moore disappeared from the jets offense yeah i don't think we really worried about you know his ability to separate his athleticism his hands because we saw when he was on the jets year one that like elijah moore had that you know like he didn't need to develop it he had it um it really came down to you know is there something deeper that we're missing here is is you know is he just not doing the right routes is he does he have no ability to find the soft zone and by seeing his targets be fairly consistently high um i my my concerns are a bit assuaged and it's just a matter of the sean watson and the browns figuring out you know how not to suck yeah and elijah moore uh the first uh sorry six games of the year had between six and nine targets in five of those six games. The last two weeks, he's only had seven targets, but of course, that's been without Watson. So hopefully, I totally, that will totally would have forgotten about Elijah Moore if you uh, did not bring him up. So thank you. Uh, you're welcome. All right, we got about eight of these left. We're running a little long, so let's try to rapid fire these as best as we can. I'm sure um, your listeners know that our our podcasts together are never quick and succinct. No, no, they they do tend to go long. Uh, this next question comes from uh, Keylag. Talk through some second-year players that are struggling and where to go with them. So how we're going to rapid-fire this, I'm going to tell you a name. Tell me, buy or sell. Uh, Sky Moore. Who cares? Uh, Drake London. Bye. Traylon Burks. Bye. Uh, he's not struggling, but Trey McBride. Price, price dependent. Uh, Chig Conquo. Sell. Desmond Ritter. <laughs> Sell. For anything. By the way, by the way, I'll say if I disagree with any of these, I, I haven't yet except maybe Traylon Burks. I'm, I'm not buying Burks at this point. Uh, Rashad White. Sell. Jahan Dotson. Bye. I am unsure. He's come back a lot in the last two weeks. He's had, you know, his best two weeks of the year. I still don't trust the talent. I never liked him, um, but it, he's he's an interesting one. Uh, Jamison Williams. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, sell he's done. Hard. He's done. He's, uh, not Sam, he's not struggling, but Sam Howell. Oh, I, I, I'm all in on Sam Howell. I, I'm, I'm a believer of Sam Howell. Bye. Sam Howell or, or Brock Purdy? Uh, I'm I'm torn there, uh, but I I think I'm very close to making irresponsible decisions about Sam Howell. Sam Howell or Will Levis? Sam Howell. 
Okay. Uh, George Pickens. Uh, bye. Bye. I really like Pickens. And last but not least, depending who you ask, James Cook. <laughs> uh, I think James Cook is price dependent. Where are you pricing him at? He's he's obviously had a rough few weeks and his value's taken a massive hit. It's, I'm I'm not really in the James Cook market, so I, I'm I'm sort of speaking out of my ass here. But like, I think James Cook should be valued where he was at the start of the year, uh, which is about a late first. Um, okay, so I'll give you some keep trade cut options where he's RB seventeen. James Cook or Javante? Javante. Camara. James Cook. Uh, DeAndre Swift. Swift. Ramondre Stevenson. Cook. Zach Charbonnet. Cook. Okay. Sounds good. All right. That was good. Let's move on to the next question. Um, we have a question coming in from uh, Duke Derp, and it is uh, good because we just mentioned him. Jamison Williams, from a tanking team perspective, is it worth investing in him? Will this guy actually turn it around? Uh, Duke Derp asked me to do some film review. So I did some film review. I was famously low on Jamison Williams coming out. I thought he was terrible. I basically thought he was Jalen Hyatt. Uh, the film review of his professional career shows he wishes he was Jalen Hyatt. I am selling for anything I can get. Go get a second round pick. Go get Quentin Johnston. Add something if you need to. I am out completely. What do you think? The guy to target with Jamison Williams is Elijah Moore. Um, at least you're going to have a good guy and the upsides there. Yeah. Jameson, uh, uh, another Jameson. guy who I target is uh Kendra Miller. That's a, that's a trade I got done recently. Interesting. I don't know if I agree with that take after watching Kendra Miller, but um, uh, I actually think that I could not care less about a player than Kendra Miller. And interestingly, like at the early part of the season, I was like, I think Kendra Miller might be a guy to keep an eye on, but. I'm, I'm taking that back. Um, Jameson Williams, man, like he's got all the speed in the world, but he really does not, you know, he has no concentration. He can't catch. Like he has, he has no spatial awareness. Like he, against zone defense, he's lost. Yeah, he, he really is. I mean, like, and I don't even trust him with the deep ball because he can't, he hasn't been able to catch the ball. Uh, so, you know, I was really high on JMO. I get excited by these fast guys, uh, you know. Like as Mike uh, Mike McDaniel says, it's fun. Um, <laughs> but is, uh, he's is, fast. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, but you know, I think the fun is over for for JMO, and I'm looking to uh, get into more secure assets moving forward. Yep, I think that is a uh, a smart bet at this point. Um, next question uh, also comes from Duke Derp. Thoughts on the backup tight ends coming from the enemy Kansas City scheme? Noah Gray and Cole Turner in Washington have both flashed. Will these guys be anything? Are they worth stashing? And and one thing I would add there is I've been high on Cole Turner for a while. He uh, is behind Logan Thomas, who is old and gets hurt a lot. Noah Gray, obviously behind Kelsey, who is very old. Uh, what do you think about these guys worth anything? I admittedly know virtually nothing about Cole Turner. So I will uh, just refrain from comment there. Noah Gray, I think is just your, your mediocre backup tight end. And he occasionally gets play in a, a very favorable sheet scheme for 
tight ends and particularly uh, there's plays designed to use their their main tight end as a decoy um, which makes it for easy pickings for whoever the the backup is um once kelsey's gone i'd imagine that you know they find somebody that's of a premier talent at that position to replace him rather than going with the guy like noah gray yep completely agree nothing to add uh last question from duke obscure but trey lance still worth stashing (laughs) yeah why not what are you gonna get for him why not exactly i wouldn't be paying a second for him but uh might as well stash him you know why not um this question comes from one of our uh one of our friends who we've talked to uh dane madoche what do you do with an overachieving punt or rebuild team so you have a team that was designed to tank and now it's too late to switch gears and compete but you have too many points to get a top pick essentially you're stuck on the treadmill of mediocrity at least for this season what do you do for this year Yo, you got to be a savage in this situation. Like, this is one of the best situations, I think, to be in. Because your team probably looks like it's not a contender at this point because it's a sneaky contender. And you could probably sell your first-round pick as if you are a tanker to another team that's tanking. So do, like, a little bit of a first pick swap with with another tanker. Give them a little extra. See if they got some sort of vet that can help your point production because you won't care anymore. Like, might as well go for it. And then just go full throttle. Like, go win, get a better pick. You can do it. It depends how far out you are. Like, like if you're two and seven right now, you can't make the playoffs, right? Then that's maybe not worth doing. One thing where I thought you were going is trade your 25 first now. I usually don't endorse trading your 2025 first, but people are going to look at your team they won't be as intelligent looking at, you know, these guys are going to progress. You have draft picks turning into whatever. Go get a tw- go trade your 2025 first while people think it's early and get a young producer. Use the fact that you don't care. Like there's not a lot of people in league. There's not a lot of teams in leagues that have young assets and draft picks, which it sounds like you would have. So go to a team that is trying to tank for the 101 or 102 Go get their Jameer Gibbs or their Josh Downs. Underpay a little bit. Go get the points off their team because it doesn't matter that much to you. Um, and really, the top four, five, six picks in this draft are all going to be good. We've already talked about the QBs, Marvin Harrison, Brock Bowers. That's at least five or six players right there. So I, as always, be open to any type of trade as long as it's value accretive. Um, but don't get stuck on the treadmill for too long. It's okay if you finish in eighth place once. Just make sure not to finish between sixth and eighth again next season. Yeah, man. But like all I'm saying here is like you should try and get a top three pick. I don't agree with that. The top six are all the same. I think there's a top three. There's really no, Caleb I, I, and then there's there's yeah. JJ and, and and Marv. And then there's the next bunch, which is like Braylon Allen and uh, you know Drake May and Brock I, I, Bowers. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're all the same. Of course, always try to get the highest pick. But if you can do a little bit of arbitrage, go to a team that really needs to get rid of points and, you know, still sell off your vets. If they're, if they're one year guys, like don't hold on to Adam Thielen right now, if you're not going to make the playoffs, but also don't be afraid to acquire Josh Downs. I mean, I mean, here's what I'll say. Like if you're going to trade your 25, 25 first for somebody like Jameer Gibbs, like you, you, first of all, you're going to have to add more than that. Um, I like the idea but there's a sequential component where 
like if you want to get an early 2024 first as well, you got to make whatever swap that is before you go and start acquiring players. Um, because the better your team is at the time of the trade, the less attractive your pick is. So you want your team to look as bad as possible when you're trying to do that first initial pick swap. And then you really like fuck that other owner by like, I, I, I completely agree. I, earlier this year, uh, I had a team. Are, are you in the target sharing league? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I had a team that was, you know, trying to tank. It looked like I was going to get the 103 or 104. I realized I had a trade to get Jonathan Taylor and a whole bunch of other vets and start competing. So the first thing I did before I accepted that trade was I traded my 24 first for T Higgins. So the owner thought they were getting a top five pick instead. Now I'm on track for a buy in that league and I got T Higgins for a late first. So that's in a, in a similar style. It's obviously harder to do now because it's week 10. Uh, that's easier to do early in the season for sure. You were you were the first buyer on an owner that really has no business. Playing he sold a lot. Uh, let's move on to the next one. This is from A. Dakeman. As an extension, how much of a discount should you take to offload your players if you're overachieving but pretty sure you can't actually compete? We've answered this in a few different ways. I don't know if we need to add on to it, but don't take a discount, especially on any elite players. If you really need to improve your potential points uh, by selling off a of Michael Gallup, right? Like, just cut him. Who cares? But if it's anyone of actual value, don't take a don't take a discount. There is one caveat, and uh, I would say in a situation like Dallas Goddard. So with Dallas Goddard right now, it's going down. How long is he out for? By the way, I know you traded a few shares of him this morning. I think I think he's going on the IR. It's, it's not been announced yet, but I think it's. It's going to be several weeks. Okay. Um, so, like, with a Dallas guy, like, you have this really good tight end that's sort of viewed as in a tier above, like, the next group of, like, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, whatever. But a guy like Evan Ingram realistically is as good as Dallas Goddard, and you might be losing value, per se, right now. But, like, that player may be just as good, if not better, than him moving forward. Uh, same goes with like Trey McBride. Um, you could probably get Trey McBride plus a little bit for uh, an injured Dallas Goddard. And I think that's a good play because, you know, this is Trey Mc, McBride's offense as a, as a tight end. Kyler loves the tight end. Uh, Kyler's coming back. That's going to be a nice connection too. Yep. Uh, one quick one. Is Zach Evans worth a punt on a rebuilder? No. Yeah. No, uh, I forgot Zach Evans was a player. He does say for a roster clogger wide receiver like Gallup, DPJ, or Alec Pierce. I would take Zach Evans over those guys, but what are we talking about here? Um, next question. Uh, how to an- handle aging running backs who are getting volume but doing poorly, like Jacob, Saquon, Pollard, and Mixon? What do you think? Uh, okay, I, so... I, I know you feel differently about these specific guys, but try to try to think, like, overall, like, arching overall view. How, how do you try to view these guys? If your guy, if you have a running back and they're 26 years old and they are progressing and you can still get value for them, you should do what you can to move value, provided you're getting good value. So, like, Tony Pollard, for example, there's a market for Tony Pollard. You can get a first, maybe a first plus for him. Do that. Joe Mixon, there's no market. Nobody wants Joe Mixon. Everybody hates him. He's a terrible person. Um, you know, he's not doing well. You're probably better off riding him until he like 
falls apart because he's yeah. still probably giving you RB2 flex points and like whatever you're going to get for him is probably going to give you less than that long term. Yeah. If if um, you have a really old player, make sure they're producing and make sure they're cheap. So like Alvin Kamara before this season, James Conner before this season, even Joe Mixon, right? Like, but I, what you're saying about Saquon Jacobs and Pollard who are all performing poorly. I, yes. I, I think that there is more, more positive outlook for some of those guys than others, but trade them for Deandre Swift, trade them for Javante Williams, get younger. I, I, I do think Jacobs is a little bit separate here, but for yeah. me, Saquon and Pollard, I am absolutely trying to get younger at for guys I, that could produce just as much over the second half of the year. I would be trying to, I like that you brought up Swift. I would be trying to trade Saquon for Swift straight up. Me too. Um, Jacobs and, is in another boat and, and if we he's look a bit at, younger. Yeah, uh, and if we look at keep trade cut rank briefly, I, I know this isn't gospel, but RB9, Saquon, then Eckler, then Jacobs, then Pollard, then Swift, Kamara, Javante, Pacheco. So you can get you can do those trades straight up. Can can we please make a rule that anytime I'm on your podcast, we do not reference keep trade cut because it is the worst thing to ever I, happen to I, dynasty football of all time. I agree. So my my question for you, because and this is actually an important question, I've gotten this from my patrons in the past. In season, what do you use to try to evaluate like market price? What what's your favorite resource? Well, myself, really, because like I'm such an active trader and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to overpay. I'm trying to pay what somebody costs. And what somebody costs is what somebody's willing to pay and what somebody's willing to accept for payment. So I'm trying different iterations of every player imaginable endlessly. Some people think I send out terrible trades, but really like I send out awesome trades too. It's just a matter of figuring out what a dynamic market results in. Like I'm not trying to pay for what a guy cost four weeks ago. I'm trying to figure out what they pay now. I'm trying to find a fair deal. Um, the other thing is I'll rely on other people I trust with opinions that I've proven to, to, to pan out like yourself, um, like dynasty dad, you know, like people that, their process makes sense. They're looking at both numbers and film. Uh, and they're not just getting excited over a guy because, you know, they're doing well. I'm not, what I'm definitely not looking for is any free crowdsourced data that really has no accuracy because number one, it lags in time. And number two, it's based off of random people making random decisions that you can't really view. Like you have no idea what the, first of all, I also don't want to be the average person. Like to me, if you're the average person, that's the definition of the treadmill of mediocrity. You're trying to beat whatever the outcome of a, a consensus is. If you're trying for consensus, you're never winning. Um, so really yeah. it, it's a, it's a matter of finding out what your process is, finding out who you trust. Um, and, and being active because, you know, the only way to actually have a, a, an understanding of a dynamic market is to be an active participant in it. It's, it's going to ebb and flow naturally, and you're not going to understand those ebbs and flows unless if you're, you're, you're riding the wave. Yeah, no, I think that's very well said. Um, so for instance, in my rankings, I have DeAndre Swift, Javante Williams ahead of Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. So um, you have who over over them? I have Javante and Swift over those guys. Uh, I think that I have well, I have Swift over all of them, 
Uh, They're in the same tier, just just for what it's worth. But I think yeah. I think I have Javante over Pollard and Mixon. Uh, I think I have to think more about where I have Javante over uh, over Saquon. Yeah, I have to think right. about that one. Last question, and I actually just got a trade offer that is relevant to this last question that I would like your opinion on. So Zale twenty five twenty five asks. What are your thoughts on Sam Howell? How has he done this year looking into the near future? How much do you lean on the lack of draft capital relative to his production on the field? Essentially, is he going to be the long starter, long-term starter there? How are you valuing him? I, I, if I was the Washington Commanders, I would be counting my, my lucky stars here. Um, the guy is a baller, man. I love. I really liked Sam Howell coming out. I thought he was the most polished quarterback coming out, and uh, nobody really realizes, but Sam Howell was like a ridiculous runner in college. Um, yeah. He he ran a lot in college, and it's not that he's some crazy athlete. He just makes very smart decisions on when to take off. We were talking about Dak earlier about just knowing when to go, and CJ Stroud needing to learn that. Uh, Sam Howell knows, like. In a way, Sam Howell kind of reminds me of Taylor Heineke, except like with physical talent. Um, and say what you will about Taylor Heineke, but he's, Taylor Heineke is a gamer. He doesn't have the physical uh, backing to be a good football player, but like Sam Howell does. Sam Howell's got a cannon, and Sam Howell's making good decisions. He's keeping his team in games. He's got good weapons. I, I like. I like him. I think I think that the draft capital is very concerning because uh, it looks like Washington's hitting a bit of a reset button, and we don't know if that means you know they're going to try and get their franchise guy, or if they think they have it and need to be a little bit worse to get him the pieces that you know the team needs to be sustainably good. It could go either direction. Um, I I'm tentatively buying. The better he does this season, the more my buying will pick up. The worse he does, you know, the more I'll hold off. Fortunately, right now, he's still a pretty low-cost investment at, like, an early second price tag. He costs a first now, for sure. Just because I've, I've been in the Sam Howell market recently. He definitely is at least a late first at this point. Um, I, I have no problem with that. I feel similarly. Like, it, it, he's what, you know, think about what Kenny Pickett cost at the end of last season. Sam Howell should cost more than that. Um, Sam yeah, Howell, yeah, I mean, he's clearly above, like, the the Pickett-Jones-Ritter tier. Um, like, I think putting him next to Will Levis is, is, is pretty similar. I think they have similar floors and ceilings and a similar chance of starting in, let's say, 2025. So the trade that I just received while we were recording that I'd like your advice on, Justin Herbert and Quentin Johnston or Sam Howell, Brees Hall, and George Kittle. It's a half-point tight end premium. So okay. again, for those listening, and, and for some context, I'm tanking in this league, not that it particularly matters, but getting rid of Kittle, Hall, and Howell would certainly help me tank. Um so it's it's Sam Howell, Brees Hall, George Kittle for Justin Herbert and Quentin Johnston. I'm I'm that's a difficult one. I got I, this offer out of the blue. It's a good first offer. It's a good offer. You're gonna get more out of it. I know you. Um, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. Um, I think you know Justin Herbert's one of those guys where he's he's a top quarterback. He's going to have value a long time, and it's pretty it's pretty nice having 
the stack, uh, especially if QJ like becomes something and, you know, Keenan's Keenan's gone in a year or two. Um, Michael Williams is nothing and always hurt and not the guy long. like Quentin Johnson could be Justin Herbert's number one receiver in a year or two. Um, if he doesn't suck, I mean, it looks like he sucks, but if he doesn't, um, Brees Hall, one of those guys, man. He's I don't want to trade him. I love Brees Hall. He's so good, man. Brees Hall could be so good, but it's the same thing we talked about early in the season where like, is he good or does he just get like a few giant plays and then do like, no, he's really good. But like, you know, Michael Carter had like five catches on the, uh, on the last drive uh, on Monday night. It's just so frustrating to see. Um, Well, I I think that that's sort of like where the jets are right now. Like you're not going to put Brees Hall as coming off an ACL in that situation where like it's a high entry risk. Like that's, that's actually, I wouldn't be concerned about that. I think that that's just the reality. No, I'm, I'm definitely not concerned long-term for sure. Okay. So this is how I break it down, right? Howell and Hall are about equal to Herbert. And then, Kittle's more than QJ. Or you can yeah. do Kittle and Hall are approximately equal to however you value. Whoever is more valuable between Kittle and 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 Howell, put that with Hall and you're getting about Herbert. Um it's a it's a totally solid offer. I'm, you know, I'm definitely gonna gonna counter because this is cause this is what I do. And it's it's definitely not a slam home run. I'll I'll, I'll probably look to get a second or a you know a first second swap on top, something like that. I think you can even start by asking more and just be like, Hey, like I'm taking on so much risk here. Uh, and I'm giving you Justin Herbert and you also get, no, 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 no. I'm getting Herbert. Oh, Oh, uh, in that case, uh, I would be asking for a first. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to counter asking for a first and giving them like some shitty player. I don't care about. And Do do they have somebody other than QJ that you can get? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, Christian Kirk, Gabe Davis, Devontae Smith, and Tyree Kill, and that's it. Uh, why not ask for Devonta Smith and just no pick? Uh, he's not going to do that. He's contending. Yeah, but, like, he's also getting more contending pieces back with... But he doesn't, like, he, he little... Those are the only four receivers who do anything, so if I... If he Does gives he have- me... If he gives me Devontae, he doesn't have a fourth receiver. His fourth receiver is Alan Lazard. So does he have a 25 first? He does. That's what I'm asking for. Does he have a 24? No. Okay. And only 125. 125 first. So I'm going to add on like Darnell Mooney and ask for the 25 first. Something like that. All right. Anyways, thanks so much for joining. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, went real deep. Thanks for helping me answering, uh, my Patreon questions. Uh, obviously check out my Patreon dynasty Zoltan FF. Check me out. Dynasty Zoltan FF on Twitter. Uh, check out Jacob as well at dynasty X factor on Twitter, getting in a lot of good trades. You get to learn a lot about his process, uh, which has been very successful. Uh, so thanks again for joining. Anything else for you to sign off? No, nothing for me. Looking forward to, to chatting next time. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you later.